Several of you have been asking this week. Um, I had made a comment last Sunday that my father set his alarm for 12.01 uh, to break his Lenten fast and eat ice cream a year ago, and I am very proud to report that my father is much more spiritually mature this year. He did not do that. <laughs> he got up at 3 a.m. and ate a half gallon of ice cream. Last week we talked about and looked at the synoptic gospels. What do we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? What do we see are the first words of Jesus after resurrection? What, what does he say? What are those first things that those people desperately needed to hear about themselves, but most importantly about him and this great truth? And we didn't have time to get to John. I had, I'd, I'd, I'd prepared, was hoping to go a few minutes there, and I had prepared or was thinking through another sermon series for these weeks. But, but made the call in the middle of sermon last week, you know what, we need to talk about the witnesses of the resurrection. We need to just spend more time. What is it we see of Jesus? We did this at Christmas several years ago, looked at the witnesses of, of the incarnation. What did they say about Jesus? What was their experience? And then just a year or two ago, the witnesses of the cross. What do we learn through those who saw Jesus die? So let's do that over these next four or five weeks together. What do we learn from those who see Jesus after his resurrection? Here, it's Mary Magdalene. Now, before we dive into her story, we need to talk a little bit about her background. Before we can look at what she experienced at resurrection, let's remind ourselves again who she is and her story, because she has a story. You have a story. I'm going to break your heart, but your great-grandmother had a story. <laughs> All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, yet somehow not because of scripture, not because of what the early church said, but centuries later, we kind of compound her story. Well, I heard maybe it's this about her and heard this about her, and we've just put all this story on her. Now listen, if you go back to Luke chapter 8 and the talk there of Mary, and I'll let you go back and do that later, yes, there is some deep work in her life that Jesus gifts to her. She's been freed from seven demons. But then that passage goes on to say she's part of the women who not only walk with Jesus in his public ministry, but she and other women help fund his public ministry. They're his key supporters and making sure the things he's about can happen. And that's an Seven demons? That's right. Seven demons. But listen, I don't want to address those other stories because... Hang on just a second. Seven demons. That's, that's a lot. That's, you know, there's a passage Jesus says you don't clean things up and you don't get the house full of God, right? They're going to go get seven more. And listen, I want to celebrate she was at the cross. I want to celebrate, much to her risk, she went to a tomb that was to be guarded and was sealed by the Roman Empire. She, seven demons. Can you imagine that? She had been freed in an amazing way. And sometimes we hear that story, we hear other stories that people add to Mary's life and think, well, that's her in Scripture. Maybe so. Scripture doesn't specifically say that. And we think, Lord, almost we can write people off because of their stories. So I love going to Luke 8, and I love going here and to the cross and to see that her past, her sin will not keep her 
from what the Lord has for her. Everybody has a story. I'll tell you part of mine this morning. I'll embarrass myself. It was 1983, and I thought I was cool. I was listening to The Clash, the only band that ever mattered. That was my band. But a friend invited me to a concert. He promised me these certain girls from Brandon Academy were going to be there. Sorry, Sarah. And so I went to this concert. It was not The Clash. It wasn't The Police. It wasn't The Replay. You know who it was? Air Supply. I'll let you look it up, younger generation. It was the Air Supply 1983 tour sponsored by Jordache Jeans. Oh, it was all these love ballads. And I went there as a punk rock fan. I went there because those girls were going to be there. It was going to be, and we had a fun time. It was fine. But I just remember thinking, oh, I hope so-and-so doesn't see me here because I'm at Air Supply. Oh, that would hurt my rep, right? We had, we had a lot to, to Mary's story. Uh, but she certainly has a past, possessed, struggling. But that's not her whole story. And when Jesus freed her, she got up, as so many do, whether it's blind Bartimaeus or others, they get up and they get on the road with Jesus. She gets freed by Jesus. She gets on the road. She blesses his ministry, funds his ministry. She has a story, yes, but Jesus changes her Story. You need to hear that this morning, that Jesus is in the story-changing business. And he'll do that. And he does that for her. We're going to close with, with that in a minute. But let's go verse by verse this morning. So if you have your Bibles open, verse 13, what do we hear in this resurrection story? Just like we saw at, in, at Easter in Luke's gospel, here we see again, verse 13, the great care of Jesus of him caring for her as he cared for those two on the road to Emmaus. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? These are not hard words. It's like going back to John 11 and Jesus weeping at the death of, of uh, Lazarus. He's, the, this is not a hard or callous moment. He really is getting into her lives. I know everything, but you go ahead and tell me, just like the woman who, who, who uh, touched me, he knew who touched me. Her, him, but he wants to say it to help her own it and to get into her life and to minister to her. We have a culture that's screaming to be noticed. Pastors who are screaming to be noticed. Check out my podcast. Check out my, my YouTube posts. Look at me. Whether it's TikTok or Instagram. Look at my life. Look at my family's life. This is pretty impressive stuff. Notice me. And we're so worried about ourselves, we get into a conversation, we've just met somebody, and instead of listening to what's really going on, what are we thinking about? We're thinking about the next thing we're going to say in the conversation. And then we get another 30 seconds into the conversation and realize, I just forgot their name. And how am I going to get out of it? What am I going to call them? Sport? <laughs> you know, thanks, sport. We have a culture that's screaming, will somebody notice me? My hurt, my pain, will they break their schedule? Will they break their lives, be interrupted? And it's just like Jesus to come in the middle of hurt and pain and confusion and say, hey, why are you weeping? What a great gift you and I will be to our culture when we'll break from our schedule, break from our lives, and get in the middle of Jesus' caring for others. You see that here. 
Whatever the questions, whatever the hurts, whatever the doubts, whatever's going on, Jesus wants to know her. I wonder how we need to hear that today. That's verse 13. Verse 14, she did not recognize him. Now, it's amazing uh, uh, that she doesn't recognize him, but as Renee talked about, maybe it is the tears. A lot of Bible scholars just say that word weeping, she's just crying her eyes out that somebody, again, not fully getting it, even though he's already talked three times or maybe more with his disciples about this, that yes, I'll die, but I'll be raised up. But she's just heartbroken. Somebody's actually stolen the body. Not only is, is that maybe what's going on, but maybe she's fixated on the tomb or her problems or those angels. I mean, that would have caught your attention. She thinks he's a gardener, and so she's looking back to the tomb and looking back to the angels. Maybe so. Um, maybe uh, it's because the last time she saw him, you couldn't recognize him, even after they prepared his body for burial. And to go from the horror of Good Friday that this one, this one resurrected bodily, that can't be him because I saw him on Friday. Or maybe, just like the disciples would have been me, Maybe we just don't expect him to show up. Maybe we just, even though he said it over and over, and it's been the plan and purposes of God to do this work, to raise up Jesus, maybe she just didn't expect Jesus to show up. Listen, she shows a lot of heart. Again, risking, offering to do whatever it is to get the body back, but not expecting Jesus to actually be raised. He said it at least three times, but yet she's not expecting it. I wonder if that's it. And if that is it, how is that for you? How's that for me? Am I expecting Jesus to show up in the midst of whatever's going on in my family? Do I expect Joseph to even show up at work in the midst of you-know-who and what's going on? Could he show up there? Do I expect Jesus to actually do a work and have a ministry in and through my life? Do I actually expect Jesus to show up in my hurt or in my shame? It's just like Jesus to meet us when we're weeping. It's just like meet Jesus to show up when we're not expecting it because so much of what happens, unfortunately, for us is we, we shut doors because we're not expecting the Lord to work. Where in your life is the Lord saying, open that door for me. Expect me to show up and I'll show up. Verse 15 and, and, and now down to 16. Um, the teacher calls her by name. And Mary calls to him, teacher. Now again, She's confused. There he is. She doesn't recognize him. And maybe, maybe you can understand through all those reasons why she doesn't, but it's the name. When he says her name, that's when she, when she gets it. I've shared with you before, my dad's best friend growing up owns a multi-million dollar uh, concert company. So I'm sure he did air supply back in the day, but I didn't ask for a tour shirt for them. Uh, but one of the top, he's probably the top country artist in the last 20, 30 years, maybe number one, two, three, I won't tell you his name. Uh, but he flew in to come see what my dad's best friend had to offer, not just for his concerts, but also for, for some home studio stuff. And he flew in and said hi. To, and it's interesting, my, I remember my dad's friend saying, I was, was kind of taken aback that 
this guy, the multi-millionaire, everybody loves this guy, he said hi to everybody as he went through the airport. I'm like, hey, we got we to gotta go. I got to show you something. And he just took forever with people. And then finally he got them back to the shop and uh, showed them all this stuff. And as he was leaving, this entertainer called everybody by name in my shop. Brian, thanks for your help. Hey, Tommy, thanks for getting the door. Gloria, thanks again for getting me here and getting my car ready for me. They get in the car and they go back to the airport and they go back to his private jet and everybody that met him on the tarmac from the time he got out of the car to get in his private jet, he called every bag handler by name. There's something about hearing your name from somebody. He remembered me. This is when it hits for Mary. She's She's heard not just that word Mary, but she's heard how he said it over and over again in his public ministry. She's not expecting it, but when she hears that word from not a gardener, but from the one who is the resurrection and the life, when she heard that word from, as John would say, the very Lamb of God, when she heard that word, as John says earlier in his gospel, from the, from the good shepherd who knows his sheep and he calls them by name, Mary. It's just that reminder throughout Scripture, Isaiah 43, he calls us by name, Mary. And when she hears that, it's no wonder <clears throat> that we get John giving us the Aramaic there, that we all kind of, Corey and I kind of struggle with. How do we pronounce that? Is it Raboni, Raboni? How do, I don't know how to say it, but for those in that culture, that least less formal word than teacher, and Jesus is teacher, he uses that name for himself. When you go to the upper room, tell him the teacher needs it. But it's this term that she would have and many would have. You read throughout Scripture over and over again. That's the title, the name they use for Jesus. And I wonder if it's in the Aramaic just because John's capturing, capturing. I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it as it was said. Oh, teacher. Teacher. Wherever we are, he calls us by name. And look at her response, verse 17. I mean, this... She's weeping, yes, he says this word, and she takes, if you go back to Matthew's gospel, those who are there grab Jesus or take hold of Jesus' feet. And yet, in verse 17, we get Jesus saying, don't cling to me. Now, why wouldn't you cling to Jesus? Why this prohibition? The text doesn't say, preacher's going to do some work here with us and, and work on that. Why would th there be this, no, you can't do that? Because listen, in just a few verses later, you can read it for yourself. Thomas, touch it. Put your hands. Give me your hands. Put it in my side. That's no problem. This is a bodily resurrection. You go right ahead. You go later in the passage. He's cooking breakfast. He's, it's a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why would he say, don't cling to me? Because listen, and maybe it's because you go down to verse 22, the disciples Tell them I'm going away, and you go down to verse 22, and here's Jesus giving them a foretaste of the Holy Spirit. And so the whole point is get back to the disciples. Hey, get back to the disciples. Don't cling to me. Go tell them. They've got to know. I'm going to meet with them, Holy Spirit, and I'm going to meet with Thomas. I'm going to cook them. All that because we've got to go. Resurrection has happened. Pentecost is coming. Get to going and get to telling. So when he says don't cling, don't, don't let that, don't, don't step back from that because 
Let's be honest. That's the whole point of Scripture, is to cling. That's, that's the call of God upon our lives, that through Jesus Christ, you and I can hold on to God now. Every time you find the word cling, hold fast, cleave, in Scripture, we talked about this Wednesday night in our Bible study, it's, it's not God clinging to us, but that you and I can actually cling, cleave, hold fast to God Almighty. Over and over again, as your tongue cleaves to the roof of your mouth, as, as people would cleave together, cling together, this is what I want. I want you to hold on to me. And in Jesus Christ, because he's won for us through his cross and resurrection, that can be. So, don't, so, so this pushing back, that, that, that it's, it's probably to get her going because the whole point was God wants to be with us. If you go back to Deuteronomy 28, that's, that's the problem with the people of God. Deuteronomy 28, 21 and 60, and this is the sad truth. If you and I are not being intentional to hold on to, dear, to God with our dear, for dear life, if we don't do that, Deuteronomy reminds us, well, then certain things are going to cling to you. Consequences and struggles. Well, something's clinging. We either cling to God and hold on to his benefits, or if we hold on to this world, or we hold on to a pain, we hold on to a sin, things are going to cling to us. The whole point is that we cling to the Lord. We'll talk more about that in, in Pentecost and the weeks going from there. But the whole point is Jesus wants, the Lord wants, that kind of intimacy, that kind of closeness, that kind of oneness. So don't, don't, be, don't be worried about this word, don't cling to me. Verse 18. Mary tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Last week we talked about how Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were faithful to go and tell, that that's always a call upon our lives, and John reports that here. But again, there's, there's this one more thing added. It's really a personal testimony. I have seen. I want you to know I have seen him raised. There's so much here. If you go back to the early story in John 20, it's important that you and I have uh, an answer for the hope that's within us. It's important for us even to be familiarized with apologetics. So especially people my age and older, that's really important to them. I want to tell you that my faith is reasonable. And you can go to John chapter 10, uh, 20, verses 1 through 10, and there's stuff in there. They just saw by what was in the tomb one of the disciples who Jesus loved, he believed right then and there. Just by looking at the setting of the tomb, that was enough for him. There was apologetical proof. There's reason enough here. They didn't steal the body. He was not thrown out in a garbage dump. Jesus Christ is alive. He is the resurrection and the life. So it's important for us to be able to say, and there are great books and resources, Ben, I, Corey, Linda, we all have, we can help you with. If you need to show why your faith is reasonable and why resurrection is not only reasonable, but in all the other explanations, the, 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 best, the best reason for why he wasn't in the tomb. That'll be helpful to people who are older, but I'm going to tell you this right now. Y'all Gen Zs, millennials, y'all don't care as much about that. You don't care about much about here approves, here, here, because I won't get into all why not, but you don't. But here's what you do care about. Here's what all of us care about. It mattered to your best friend, and your best friend met Jesus, and their lives were changed forever. It mattered to your mom and dad, 
And I saw the difference that Jesus made in their lives. A personal testimony, it's hard to argue against that. We can give apologetic proofs and say, here are the defenses for our faith, and that should hopefully open the door for conversations and to show that faith is reasonable. But I'm going to tell you, next, probably number two would be serving. When they see the church actually roll up their sleeves and love people and serve people well, that's number two. But the number one thing that, that, that is a gift to Gen Z and millennials from the church is a personal testimony. And I know that makes us nervous. Well, I don't want to be pushy. I don't think the Lord would use my testimony. It's not crazy enough, or it's not this enough, or I'm not an eloquent speaker enough. There's nothing. It's hard to argue with somebody who says, I've met him. And he just changed my life. We talked about it three or four years ago in a contagious uh, uh, Christian series. I'd encourage you to go back to that and relearn again what's your Jesus story. This is who I was before I met Jesus. That's got to be part of your, yeah, I even went to air supply. You got you to gotta confess, here's who I was, broken and sinful, lost in pain or shame or whatever it is. A few, a little bit. Doesn't need to be all, but a little bit. This is who I was. Part two, but this is how I, this is how I met Jesus, and it's got to be repeatable, something they can do. This is how I met him. He's real to me. And then part three, and you can't miss this in church. We've got to have this part. And this is how he changed me. I used to be filled with shame. I'm not anymore. I used to be lost in sin, possessed by seven demons. I'm not anymore. Whatever it may be. This is how I met him. This is who I was. This is how I met him. But this is how he's changed my life, transformed my heart. Um, that's what you see in her story. It's interesting. We love to talk about Mary's story over here. Seven demons and then all that other stuff we like to put on her. I love this part of Mary's story. I funded his ministry. I was set free. When everybody else ran, I was at the cross. And when everybody was scared, but we were supposed to have seven days to weep over Jesus, I went there and I wept over him and I went to the tomb to care for his body. A life of boldness, courage, faithfulness and transformation that's her story yes here's where she was but she met jesus and she's no longer the same what is your jesus story could you rehearse that over and over again so that when people ask you why you live the way you live you speak the way you speak at work why you do what you do in the community why you care for people and interrupt your schedule for other people you can say let me tell you something this is who i was this is how i met him and this is how he's changed me. That's why I do what I do and I live like I live. What we see there in verse 18 is Mary goes and tells the disciples, it's a personal testimony. He changed my life. I loved, I think it's been a month or two now. Where's Jenny? I saw her earlier. Is Jenny? There she is. I loved hearing your testimony. That, I mean, I wish people would listen to my sermon. But when we came out of that and you gave your personal testimony, that's all they talked about. Because a testimony matters. It's one thing for a preacher to say it, but for you to give glory to God what happened in your life. And then a year or two ago, Jay Axon, who's at Emmaus this weekend, we watched his video testimony interview I did with him. And people were talking all about that. Why? Because Jesus was so real to him. A testimony matters. I've seen the Lord. What a gift you'll give your children, your neighbors, your business associates, relatives, when you can have a personal testimony to say, I have seen the Lord. 
What do, we, what, do we, what do we see here this morning from Mary Magdalene, first resurrection witness in the Gospel of John? What do you see in her life? What do you see of Jesus? What do you see that needs to be a part of your life? Do you need to receive the care of Jesus? He comes to her in her weeping. Are you expecting him to show up and to work? Are you and I clinging to him? Are you and I committed to tell the story? Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for all that we see here of, of your faithfulness through your son Jesus Christ to Mary's life, to give her freedom. And that's your heart for us. If we are, we are free in you, we're free indeed. We thank you for that reminder in John. Father, if any of us need to hear that, that kind of release, that kind of uh, grace, that kind of power, I pray we receive that this morning. Father, if many of us are carrying heartbreak and struggles today, I pray that we'd open our lives and expect you to show up and be in the middle of that. And Father, as well, give us a heart uh, for that with others, to be interrupted, to be able to be in the middle, to get into the middle with others. Father, we thank you for this truth that Jesus was bodily raised. We, what a confidence we can know in so many ways that he's defeated sin and, and death and and has guaranteed life with you forever. But uh, from that reminder, that word cling, uh, maybe some of us have had things clinging to us, or we will admit that because of anxiety or temptation, we've been grasping at other things. Father, we repent of that this day, and we want to cling to you, to your goodness, uh, to you, to your word. Help us to do that. And Father, as well, would you give us, would you give us a, a platform to share the full story, not just where we've been, but how you've transformed our lives. Thank you for a testimony that we can all say that. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen.